Hi, this is Jack O'Halloran from Superman 1 and 2. I'm here to do INT podcast with uh, with Mike Sims. And uh, I think he's trying to duplicate Clark Kent wearing his glasses, but that's never going to work. Well, my uh, my guest today I'm really excited about is Jack O'Halloran. Uh, he's known for a numerous uh, projects, movies, uh, including Superman, Dragnet, and he has been a, uh, a boxer that has uh, been in, uh, inducted in the Hall of Fame. And thank you, Jack, for being on my podcast. My pleasure, for sure. So tell me what, um, tell me your story. How'd you, how'd you get into all this? I was, you know, I went from um, football to, uh, to boxing and uh, I was going to play pro football and I, I was um, with the New York Jets, but it was back when in my era, you couldn't play pro ball unless your class graduated from college, hmm. which they should have that today because these kids are too young and they're getting hurt and, you know, their right. bodies aren't mature enough. But that was the, that was the rule back then. And, uh, and I, and I left school early and, you know, and I was picked up by the Jets. So I had to play, uh, we played in a, in like a, a farm team uh, out of Philadelphia, Tinicum, Tinicum AC. Dick Christie and his brother played on it. A lot of guys that went up and played pro ball played on these games. And we, we, we used to play two games a week just to keep our levels up. And the, um, then when it came time to play, uh, the Eagles had uh, had acquired a, a great team. Jurgensen was down there. And wow. a lot of friends of mine were down there. And I and I said to you, I, I said, you know, I, I think I'd like to get down and and play down in Philadelphia for, he said, well, you've always got a home up here. You know, we, we love to keep you. So, um, but I went down to Philly and Philly was bought by Jerry Wallman and they'd sold the team to Jerry Wallman. And he brought a guy by the name of Joe Q. Hurricane as a coach. And I watched this guy trade a championship football team away in three months. Wow. Traded Sonny Jurgensen and Tommy McDonald and traded uh, four guy four great linemen to Green Bay for, uh, Jim Ringo, who was at the end of his career. And I mean, I just, just moves that were incredible. I mean, they trade Sonny Jurgensen for Norman Sneed. It was, wow. a, it was a joke. Wow. So I, I come out of a meeting one day with Timmy Brown, who was a running back, pretty good running back. Right. And uh, Q. Herrick walked right by us. And I said, whoa, don't you say hello to anybody? Uh, I said, you know what? Why you <laughs> Take this team and shove it. And Timmy <laughs> said, while you're at it, trade me. Really? I was talking to some friends of mine in Philly and the Ali had just won the title. And I said to the guy, you know, I can beat that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing I know, I was thrown into a gymnasium and embarked on my boxing career. And uh, I would think I was 16 and 0. And they did a physical one day and said, uh, you, you're suffering from a disease called acromegaly, kid. You shouldn't be boxing at all. Really? In fact, they couldn't believe how I even got up to get get in the ring, and because uh, it causes such mental depression and stuff, and, and I just shirked it off and just yeah right, and, and I kept on going like a crazy man until uh, then when I came out to fight Norton back in the bottom of my career in '72, and uh, it was a great great fight. I mean, I I this really I beat it, but they took a home decision. But I stay I won the town and stayed in San Diego knocked out a half dozen guys and became a uh, California heavyweight champion. And, wow. Uh, 
and the doctor that was the, uh, the, the, the fight doctor that was a very sharp guy. And he said to me, right. when I went to get a physical with him, he said, you know, kid, you, you suffer from acromegaly and you've got to do something about that. And I said, what are you talking, what's acromegaly? He said, it's a tumor of the pituitary. And I think you've been told this before. And my jaw was out of alignment because my jaw grew out and it was, uh, it's, it causes tremendous growth hormone in your body. Like right. your body pumps out 10% growth hormone. Mine was pumping out 160. Wow. So it, it, in fact, my skeleton today in my body uh, is 43 pounds heavier than it should be because of the size of the bones and the density of them. So I carry that weight around with me all the time. You know, it's uh but, you know, he talked me into going to Scripps and getting a workup done. And when they seen how 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 blown out this thing was, um, he said, you either get a fix or I'm taking your boxing license. So I, I went back east to uh, Mass General and because um, I and talked to some people on the East Coast and they had this machine, a cyclotron proton machine, which was a laser beam that didn't burn. And then knocked the tumor out, bang, bang, wham. Thank you, ma'am. And, wow. And uh, I was very fortunate, actually. But it took a while for my body to adjust to it. And I, I only had a couple more fights and I retired. And, uh, and they came to me when I was boxing and I lived in Boston. They came to me to do the Thomas Crown Affair. Because McQueen came into Boston and we looked after him. We took good care of him. And he and I became good friends. And he said, man, you got to come down and and I'm going to put you on this picture and we'll get you side card. You got to come back to Hollywood, man. We'll have a good, great time. Steve was a terrific guy. And I there said, I, I was undefeated. As I said, I don't think so. I, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. Then they offered me the great white hope in 1968. And I had just knocked out Manuel Ramos, who was ranked number two in the world. And now I'm looking to fight Ali. Wow. And they wanted me to go away for six months. And it was put together by Raymond Patriarcha from Rhode Island, who was trying to get me off the street so I wouldn't wind up in jail for organized crime stuff. And uh, I, um, I said, I, I'm not going anywhere. And he said, Well, you got it. You know, th this is Raymond's going to be very nice. I'll take care of Raymond. Don't worry. About it. And so I turned it down. And Steve McQueen called me up. He said, Well, you nuts, man. We were trying to get you out here. And what a great it was a huge movie. It was the biggest movie in Hollywood. Right. And I was walking out the front steps. James Earl Jones is walking up and I'm walking down. And he stopped me and he said, you're Jack O'Hower. And I said, yeah, you're James Earl Jones. He said, <laughs> he said, is it true what I just heard about you? I said, it depends on what you heard. He said, you just told Hollywood to take the biggest movie and stick it. I said, well, I guess you could say that. He said, I got to shake your hand. I never met anybody that did that before. <laughs> and we became friends and uh and then when I retired in 75, they called me to do a picture called Farewell, My Lovely with Robert Mitchum. And, uh, wow. and I owned a couple construction companies. And I looked around and I said, you know, maybe it's time we give this a shot. And they flew me out to California and I did a screen test with Harry Dean Stanton. And Mitchum said, it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. Wow. And he became my mentor and he was, uh, he was brilliant. I loved Robert. He was, uh, and Farewell came, turned out to be a pretty good movie. And uh, my career just went right up the tree. I did King Kong and we just went, did one film after another. And it was it one, um, one success uh, built onto the other. Yeah, it worked out pretty well, you know. So here I am 45 years later and, uh, and still bound to, uh, you know, getting ready to do. In fact, I got 
offers, they got three, four pictures offered on the table now that the pandemic is over. We're all getting ready and I'm getting ready to make a mini series out of my book. And then we're Fantastic. going to turn that into a series. I've got two more books coming out. Fantastic. So we've got, we're building a studio in Nevada, which is a 4 million square foot studio, which the, the industry needs direly. And we're going to put everything for the very first time under one roof. And then we're going to build a smart city next to it that'll house 30,000 people. So that people will only have to go 15 minutes to work. Instead of what they do today, driving two hours and an hour each way and stuff, because people have moved inland because it's cheaper and, right. you know, it's uh, kind of a hassle getting in and out to go to work every day. So that's going to alleviate a lot of stuff and make things a lot more cost effective. So we're, you know, now that this thing is settled down, people are moving around and we're starting to move things forward. And it's, uh, it's everybody's gonna, looking forward. It's going to be great. It's going to all explode out there. The, uh, yeah, the industry will actually move to Nevada. It'll be great. Yeah. So it, it, you're talking about your your book, Family Legacy. That's a um, that's a, a, a it, it's it's dubbed as a, a, a fictional memoir, but it's actually things that you you've overheard your whole life. Well, and, it's my life. I, I I changed my name to Jack Pagano, which is a relative of mine out of Sicily. And I did that because there are some things have no statute of limitation, you know? Right. And, uh, and, and then when I did the book, I had to sit down with the FBI and the CIA and the NSA and NSA were friends of mine. And they, they made the meeting over in Hawaii and the FBI said, you can't publish this book nonfiction. If you publish it nonfiction, we will not allow it to be published in America. Wow. And I said, well, wait a minute. So they said, so we had a discussion and I uh, changed a couple of little things and, and they said, well, that's okay. You know, just make it fractional. And, and, uh, you know, as long as you're confusing people, we don't, we're, we're fine with that. You know, so well, we did so, that just by changing my name and where I lived and stuff. And as a kid and my family uh, background and stuff, you know, but, uh, my so father was a man called Albert Anastasia, who was uh, head of Murder, Inc., and probably one of the most feared Italians that ever came in the country. And he was, um, my mother was married to a guy named O'Halloran. And uh, in 1942, Albert was stationed in Indian Gap, Pennsylvania, in the Army as a sergeant. He was a special sergeant teaching longshoremen how to be, how, I mean, soldiers how to be longshoremen. Right. And the, uh, the, <laughs> it was the way of getting him out of the way because they were looking for him everywhere. I mean, there was a funny joke one time. The guy, there was a, a, a captain of a platoon, saw the New York newspapers and they're looking for Albert Anastasia. Where is he? Well, how come we can't find him? And, and he called up New York and he said, uh, this uh, Anastasia guy you're all looking for, I have him right here in my army. And the guy said, who? He said, Albert Anastasia, it's all over the newspapers. You guys are looking for him everywhere. He said, he's right here in my army. The guy said, hold on a minute. And he came back on the phone. He said, oh, that, that's all media print. He said, we're not looking for Albert. That's all a bunch of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I was, he, of course, never stated the, the, the thing. And he came into Philly every night and because uh, he controlled all the waterfronts of the, of, of the United States. And, uh, Right. He was very close to the IRA guys down there. There was a guy that was a 
a close friend of his, uh, Collins, Rip Collins, who Tommy Collins was his uh, cousin. He was the famous IRA guy in Ireland. Yeah. And Rip was uh, was like an engineer for General Electric, but he was he ran the waterfront for the IRA. So he was a minder. He was put on me as a minder when I was a kid by my father. And uh, my father met my mother, you know, because uh, my stepfather, my stepfather was overseas. He was a lieutenant uh, aviator. He was mm. flying. He was over in World War II. And Albert ran into my mom and she was a, a fan. She sang extremely well and stuff. She was gorgeous. She made Jane Russell look like a boy. Oh, okay. And they, and they had a, a tour de fair, and I was the the remnants of it. So there you go. You know, he just uh, he put somebody to mind over me, and thought right. he would keep me away from uh, New York. But when he was killed in 1957, I was 14 years old, and all of a sudden I was introduced to Meyer Lansky and Frank Costello, and uh, and my education started. Right. Know, as to who I was and what was expected of me, and uh, things of that nature, and, and then I was uh, a young man, and I up in New York, and I was I think 18, 19 years old. I was in between semesters of school, and I was running a a soft ice cream. They used to have those ice cream trucks like McDonald's, you know, right? But they had one called Tasty Freeze, and it was yeah. they were the first ones that had Carroll Brothers. It was Carroll Brothers, and they were the first ones that have. Uh, hot dogs and stuff on the truck beside ice cream and right. they were an outfit they was run by they was owned by the outfit out of Chicago hmm. and they put me in charge with another guy of this depot in Newark I guy was only a kid and the education I got was amazing because the Cubans were coming out of Cuba then they were being thrown out of Cuba I mean very very wealthy people that came into Miami with just what they could hold in their hands you know Right, and they and they put them up in uh, up in uh, New Jersey, uh, down the street from Newark, and they came and they and I, what an education I got because they would come and they got one truck and then they got two trucks and they got three trucks and they were building their fortune back again. You know that these guys were super smart businessmen, and to watch them operate was was a, was a gas. So I, I learned a lot, you know. And, uh, um, I did that for a while, and I was introduced to a lot of people in New York at the same time, and um, yes. and life goes on, you know. And I, I got into uh, into boxing, and uh, I think if my father had been out or Frankie Carbo was home, if he wasn't in jail, I probably would have been world champion. Yeah, because wow. Frankie Carbo ran the boxing world, and uh, and I was I was. I, I had a lot of talent. I know I kicked myself in the butt a lot of times because I possessed a lot of talent and I, and I didn't, if I ever would have trained like Ali and I'm going away to camp for six weeks or something like that, but I used to take fights on a week's notice, you know, just wow. to get out of town and go somewhere and take care of some other business. And right. it was like a day job, you know, you had to have a day job in the outfit. Uh, right. And I was, um, so I, you know, I, I did that. I mean, uh, for several years and, uh, and I beat some very good fighters when I was in shape, nobody beat me. I mean, uh, I was, uh, well, I saw the pictures of you and, uh, your boxing pictures and I, 
I, I tell you, it's, it's pretty menacing. <laughs> well, I, I remember they, they, they took me down. They called me on the phone, the promoter, Lou Vescuzzi from, uh, he was from Florida, but he was promoting in Houston, Texas. And they were looking for a fight for Frazier. <laughs> he called me on the phone. He said, Jack, you want to fight Terry Daniels, who was a white kid. They wanted to get a white guy to fight Frazier. And uh, Terry was ranked, I think, sixth or fifth, somewhere in the top ten. And I said, yeah. He said, you'll take the fight? I said, send me a ticket. So I was in great shape because I was in my house. I, I was I had, like, indictments all over me from the unions and stuff. And I just right. was locked in my house for a while. So I was training. I got in great shape. I was running hard every day. And, and I went down to Houston and I got off the plane. Excuse <laughs> me, he said, my God, you're in shape. I said, well, aren't you supposed to be in shape when you come to a fight? And I knocked it. I destroyed this kid, Terry Downs. I, you know, they should have stopped in the first round, but right. they, I knocked him out in the third round. And, and I'm on a plane going back home with Yang Durham. And he said to me, listen, if you fight one more good fighter, you can have the Frazier fight at the Houston Astrodome. And I said, hmm. I'll tell you what. I said, you name the place and the time and just send me a ticket. He said, are you serious? I said, just you name the fighter and the time, send me a ticket. So they called me about two weeks later. He said, you're fighting Cleveland Williams, which Houston was his hometown. You're fighting Cleveland Williams in Houston, such and such a date. And I said, good, send a ticket. So I stayed in shape and I went down. Thank God I did. I went down for Cleveland and Cleveland was, uh, I think he hit me harder than anybody ever hit me in my career. Wow. I mean, he hit me a left hook and my toes shook. You know? Wow. And I, I fell back into the corner and he came charging at me. So I, I thumbed him and cuffed him and spun him around. I whispered in his ear. I said, you're never touching me the rest of the night, Sonny. So get used to this left hand of mine. And I just <laughs> boxed the shit out of him. And then wow. the last three or four rounds, especially the last three rounds, I'd hit him a combination. He'd go to fall down. I was grabbing him under the elbows and pulling him in and said, don't be falling down on me, man. We've been dancing all night. Because he was, you know, he was a legend in his time and, Right. You know, if he if he went the distance with me, he could still earn money. And yeah. knock him out, it, it hurts him more, you know. So, and I liked him; he was a good guy. So I beat him ten out of ten, though. Hmm. And Terry Daniels got the Frazier fight in Cleveland for George Savallo on the same card. And I think they got scared when they seen Cleveland hit me, and I just shook it right off. It, right. it bothered them a lot. So that was that was the end of the Frazier fight. Wow. But, uh, you know, then no one wanted to fight me for a while. And I, uh, I think the next fight I had was George Foreman. Wow. In Madison Square Garden. Uh, the problem with that is I only trained a week for Foreman. I, you know, it's like a lot of things. I just, uh, it's not enough. when I fought Kenny Norton, they, they called me on the phone. They said, uh, do you want to fight Ken Norton? I said, when? They said, next week. I said, what do you mean next week? Well, we just, the fight fell apart and we need a, we need somebody. And we need somebody who knows how to fight, you know, somebody with a name. We wanted to say, yeah, give me, send me, you'll take the fight and send me a ticket. And I went out and I gave him, I mean, I, I gave him one of the worst beatings he ever had. And they, the, I could have actually sat on a stool on the ninth round. At the end of the ninth round, he and I were standing toe to toe and it was, uh, the crowd were standing on the chairs. It was so loud that when they rang the bell, nobody heard it. Wow. So it rang the bell like three times and finally the referee separated us. And I was going back to my corner. He ran across the ring and hit me behind the head and drove me into the, into the ring post. And the commissioner was sitting right there and he jumped up in my corner and he said, 
if you can't continue, you just won the fight on a foul. And now I'm angry. I said, for the foul, I said, I'll kill this guy. Right. You know, not realizing I'm in his hometown and they're building him up for a title shot. And you got to really thoroughly beat the hell out of somebody to get a decision in their hometown. Right. But, and he got a split decision. and uh, uh, But he would never fight me again. And they, mm-hmm. and, and I stayed and I won the city because people went crazy. I, they never saw, no one knew I could fight like that out there. I had never fought in San Diego. And so, I uh, ripped off about six or seven knockouts. And when I fought a guy in San Francisco that nobody wanted to fight, Henry Clark. And hmm. I took the state title away from him. And uh, Thank you for listening to the IMT show with Mike Sims. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The IMT show is an opinion show and not to be taken as serious personal, legal, tax or financial advice. It is meant as entertainment only. IMT show, Mazaroff for Mike Sims is not responsible for ad content. For more information on show schedules and content visit www.mazaroff.net slash IMT.